Chapter Five of Catherine Lauderdale, Volume One, by Francis Marion Crawford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Five. Catherine had no anxiety about the future, and it seemed to her that she had managed matters in the wisest and most satisfactory manner possible. She provided, as she thought, against the possibility of any subsequent interference with her marriage in case she should see fit to take the step of which she had spoken. The combination seemed perfect, and even a sensible person, taking into consideration all the circumstances, might have found something to say in favour of a marriage which should not be generally discussed. Ralston and Catherine, though not rich, were decidedly prominent young people in their own society, and all their goings and comings interested the gossips and furnished food for conversation. There were many reasons for this. Neither of them was exactly like the average young person in the world. But the great name of Lauderdale, which was such a real power in the financial world, contributed most largely to the result. Everyone who bore it, or who was as closely connected with it as the Ralstons, was more or less before the public. Most of the society paragraph writers in the newspapers spoke of the family, collectively and individually, as often as they could find anything to say about it, and as a general rule the tone of their remarks was subdued and laudatory, and betrayed something very like awe. The presence of the Lauderdales and the Ralstons was taken for granted in all accounts of big parties, first nights at the opera and dailies, and of other similar occasions. From time to time a newspaper man in a fit of statistics calculated how many dollars of income accrued to Robert Lauderdale at every minute, and proceeded to show how much each member of the family would have if it were all equally divided. As Robert the Rich had made his money in real estate, and his name never appeared in connection with operations in Wall Street, he was therefore not periodically assailed by the wrathful chorus of the sold and ruined, abusing him and his people, to the youngest of the living generation, an ordeal with which the great speculators are familiar. But from time to time the daily newspapers published woodcuts supposed to be portraits of him and his connections, and the obituary notice of him, which was, of course, kept ready in every newspaper office, would have given even the old gentleman himself some satisfaction. The only member of the family who suffered at all for being connected with him was Benjamin Slayback, the member of Congress. If he ever dared to hint at any measure implying expenditure on the part of the country, he was promptly informed by some honourable member, on the other side, that it was all very well for him to be reckless, with the whole Lauderdale fortune at his back, but that ordinary mortals had to content themselves with ordinary possibilities. The member from California called him the Eastern Croesus, and the member from Massachusetts called him the Western Millionaire, and the member from Missouri quoted scripture at him, while the Social Democrat member from somewhere, there was one at that time, and he was a little curiosity in his way, called him a capitalist. That which epithet, the Social Democratic Dictionary, contains none more biting and more offensive in the opinion of its compilers. Altogether, at such times, the Honourable Slayback of Nevada had a very bad quarter of an hour because he had married Charlotte Lauderdale, penniless, but a Lauderdale, very inadequately fitted out for a bride, though she was the grandniece of Robert the Rich. 
Slayback of Nevada, however, had a certain rough dignity of his own, and never mentioned those facts. He had plenty of money himself, and did not covet any that belonged to his wife's relations. "'I'm not as rich as your Uncle Robert,' he said to her on the day after their marriage, "'and I don't count on being. But you can have all you want. There's enough to go round now.' Maybe you wouldn't like to be bothering me all the while for little things. Yes, that's natural. So I'll just put something up to your credit at Riggs's, and you can have a checkbook. When you've got through it, tell Riggs to let me know. You might be shy of telling me. And Benjamin Slayback smiled in a kindly fashion, not at all familiar to his men friends. And on the following day, Charlotte received a notice from the bank to the effect that $10,000 stood to her credit. Never having had any money of her own, the sum seemed a fortune to her, and she showed herself properly grateful, and forgave Benjamin a multitude of small sins, even such as having once worn a white satin tie in the evening, and at the opera of all places. Catherine was perfectly well aware that the smallest actions of her family were subjects for public discussions, and she knew how people would talk if it were ever discovered that she had been secretly married to John Ralston. On the other hand, the rest of the Lauderdales were in the same position, and would be quite willing, when they were acquainted with the facts, to say that the marriage had been a private one, leaving it to be supposed that they had known all about it from the first. She had no anxiety for the future, therefore, and believed that she was acting with her eyes open, to all conceivable contingencies and possibilities. Matters were not, indeed, finally settled, for even after she was married she would still have the interview with her uncle to face, but she felt sure of the result. It was so easy for him to do exactly what he pleased, as it seemed to her, to make or unmake men's fortunes at his will, as she could tie and untie a bit of string. And her confidence in Ralston was boundless. Considering his capacities, as they appeared to her, his failure to do anything for himself in the two positions which had been offered to him was not to be considered a failure at all. He was a man of action, and he was an exceptionally well-educated man. How could he ever be expected to do an ordinary clerk's work? It was absurd to suppose that he could change his whole character at a moment's notice, and it was an insult to expect that he should change it at all. It was a splendid nature, she thought, generous, energetic, brave, averse to mean details, of course, as such natures must be, impatient of control, independent and dominating. There was much to admire in Ralston, she believed, even if she had not loved him. And perhaps she was right, from her point of view. Of his chief fault, she really knew nothing. The little she had heard of his being wild, as it is called, rather attracted than repelled her. She despised men whom she looked upon as duffers and muffs. Even her father, whose peculiarities were hard to bear, was manly in his way. He had been good at sports in his youth. He was a good rider, and could be trusted with horses that did not belong to him, which was fortunate, as he had never possessed any of his own. He was a good shot, as she had often heard, and he periodically disappeared upon solitary salmon-fishing expeditions on the borders of Canada for he was a strong man and a tough man and needed much bodily exercise 
the only real muff there had ever been in the family catherine considered to be her grandfather the philanthropist and he was so old that it did not matter much but the tales he told of his studious youth disgusted her for some occult reason all the other male relations were manly fellows even to little frank minor who was as full of fight as a cock sparrow in spite of his diminutive stature benjamin slayback too was eminently manly in an awkward constrained fashion hamilton bright was an athlete and john ralston could do all the things which the others could do and did most things a trifle better with a certain finished style which other men envied he was eminently the kind of man whose acquaintances at the club will back for money in every contest requiring skill and strength it was no wonder that catherine admired him but she told herself that her admiration had nothing to do with her love there was much more in him than the world knew of and she was quite sure of it her ideals were high and ralston fulfilled most of them she always fancied that there was something knightly about him and it appealed to her more than any other characteristic she felt that he could be intimate without ever becoming familiar there is more in that idea than appears at first sight and the distinction is not one of words up to a certain point she was quite right in making it for he was naturally courtly as well as ordinarily courteous and yet without exaggeration he did certain things which few other men did and which she liked he walked on her left side for instance whenever it was possible if they chanced to be together in the street she had never spoken of it to him but she had read in some old book on court manners that it was right a hundred years ago and she was pleased they had been children together and yet almost since she could remember he had always opened the door for her when she left a room and not for her only but for every woman if she and her mother were together when they met him he always spoke to her mother first if they got into a carriage he expected to sit on the left side even if he had to leave the pavement and go to the other door to get in he never spoke of her simply as catherine if he had to mention her name in her presence to anyone not a member of the family he said my cousin catherine or miss lauderdale according to circumstances they were little things all of them but by no means absurd in her estimation and he would continue to do them all his life she supposed that his mother had taught him the usages of courtesy when he had been a boy but they were a part of himself now how many men thought catherine who believed themselves perfect gentlemen and who were undeniably gentlemen in every essential were wholly lacking in these small matters how many would have called such things old-fashioned nonsense who had never so much as noticed that ralston did them all because he did them unobtrusively and because in reality most of them are founded on perfectly logical principles and originally had nothing but the convenience of society for their object catherine had thought it out for instance most men being right-handed have the more skilful hand and the stronger arm on the lady's side with which to render her any assistance she may need if they find themselves on her left there was never any affectation of fashion about really good manners catherine believed and everything appertaining thereto had a solid foundation in usefulness during slayback's courtship of her sister she had found numberless opportunities of contrasting what she called the social efficiency of the man who knew exactly what to do 
with the inefficiency of him who did not and on a more limited scale she found such opportunities daily when she saw ralston together with other men he had a very high standard of honor too many men had that and all whom she knew were supposed to have it but there were few whom she could felt that she could never possibly suspect of some little meanness that was another step to the pedestal on which she had set up for her ideal but perhaps one of the chief points which appealed to her sympathy was ralston's breadth of view or absence of narrowness he had spoken the truth that evening when he had said that he had never laughed at anyone's religion and next to love religion was at that time uppermost in katharine lauderdale's mind at her present stage of development everything she said saw read and heard bore upon one or the other or both which was not surprising considering the atmosphere in which she had grown up alexander junior had never made but one sacrifice for his wife and that had been of a negative description he had forgiven her for being a roman catholic and had agreed never to mention the subject and he had kept his word as indeed he always did on the very rare occasions when he could be induced to give it it is needless to say that he had made a virtue of his conduct in this respect for he systematically made the most of everything in himself which could be construed into a virtue at all but at all events he had never broken his promise in the days when he had married emma camperdown there had been little or no difficulty about marriages between catholics and members of other churches and it had been understood that his children were to be brought up presbyterians though nothing had been openly said about it his bride had been young beautiful and enthusiastic and she had believed in her heart that before very long she could effect her husband's conversion little dreaming of the rigid nature with which she should have to deal it would have been as easy to make a roman catholic of oliver cromwell as mrs lauderdale soon discovered to her sorrow he did not even consider that she had any right to talk of religion to her children charlotte lauderdale grew up in perfect indifference her mind developed young but not far in her childhood she was a favorite of old mrs lauderdale formerly a miss mainwaring of english extraction and the mother of mrs ralston and the old lady had taught her that presbyterians were no better than atheists and that roman catholics were idolaters so that the only salvation lay in the episcopal church the lesson had entered deep into the girl's heart and she had grown up laughing at all three but on coming to years of discretion she went to an episcopal church because most of her friends did she enjoyed the weekly fray with her father whom she hated for his own sake in the first place and secondly because he was poor and she once went so far as to make him declare in his iron voice that he vastly preferred catholics to episcopalians a declaration which she ever afterwards cast violently in his teeth when she had succeeded in drawing him into a discussion upon articles of faith her mother never had the slightest influence over her the girl was quick-witted and believed herself clever was amusing and thought she was witty was headstrong capricious and violent in her dislikes and was consequently convinced that she had a very strong will she married slayback for three reasons to escape from her family because he was rich and because she believed that she could do anything she chose with him she was not mistaken in his wealth and she removed herself altogether from the sphere of the lauderdales but benjamin slayback 
was not at all the kind of person she had taken him for Catherine was altogether different from her sister she was more habitually silent and her taste was never for family war she thought more and read less than charlotte who devoured literature promiscuously and trusted to luck to remember something of what she read indeed catherine thought a great deal and often reasoned correctly from inaccurate knowledge in a healthy way she was inclined to be melancholic and was given to following out serious ideas and even to something like religious contemplation everything connected with belief in transcendental matters interested her exceedingly she delighted in having discussions which turned upon the supernatural and upon such things as seemed to promise a link between the hither and the further side of death's boundary between the cis mortal and the trans mortal if the coining of such words be allowable in this she resembled nine-tenths of the american women of her age and surroundings the mind of the idle portion of american society today reminds one of a polypus whose countless feelers are perpetually waving and writhing in the fruitless attempt to catch the very smallest fragment of something from the other side wherewith to satisfy the mortal hunger that torments it there is something more than painful something like an act of the world's soul tragedy in this all-pervading desire to know the worst or the best to know anything which shall prove that there is something to know there is a breathless interest in every detail of an experience as it is related a raising of hopes a thrilling of the long ready receptivity as the point is approached and then when the climax is reached and passed there is a sudden almost agonizing relapse into blank hopelessness the story has been told but nothing is proved we know where the door is but before it is a screen round which we must pass to reach it the screen is death as we see it to pass it and be within sight of the threshold is to die as we understand death and there lies the boundary of possible experience for as we know there is no other door the question is undoubtedly the greatest which humanity can ask for the answer must be immortality or annihilation it seems that a certain proportion of mankind driven to distraction by the battle of beliefs has actually lost the faculty of believing anything at all and the place where the faculty was aches to speak familiarly that at least was how it struck Catherine Lauderdale and it was from this point of view that she seriously contemplated becoming a Catholic if she did so she intended to accept the church as a whole and refuse forever afterwards to reopen the discussion she could never accept it as her mother did for she had not been brought up in it and there were days when she felt that by a single act of will she could bind herself to believe in all the essentials and close her eyes to the existence of the non-essentials never to open them again then she thought she should never have any more doubts but on other days she wished that there might be another way she got odd numbers of the proceedings of a society devoted to psychological researches and read with extreme avidity the accurately reported evidences of persons who had seen or heard unusual sights or sounds and studied the figures illustrating the experiments in thought transference then the conviction came upon her that there must be another door besides the door of death and that if she were only patient she might be led to it or come upon it unawares 
she knew far too little of what little there is to be known to get any further than this vague and not unpleasant dream and she was conscious of her ignorance asking questions of everyone she met who took the slightest interest in psychical inquiries of course her attempts to gain knowledge were fruitless if anyone who is willing to be a member of civilized society knew anything definite about what we call the future state the whole of civilized society would know it also in less than a month everyone can be quite sure of that and no one need therefore waste time in questioning his neighbor in the hope of learning anything certain there were even times when her father's rigid and merciless view of the soul pleased her and was in sympathy with her slightly melancholic temperament the unbending manly quality of the presbyterian belief attracted her by its strength the courage a man must have to go through life facing an almost inevitable hell for himself and the positive certainty of irrecoverable damnation for most of those dearest to him if her father was in earnest as he appeared to be he could not have the slightest hope that her mother could be saved at that idea Catherine laughed being supposed to be a Presbyterian herself Nevertheless she sometimes liked his hard sayings and doings simply because they were hard Hamilton bright had often told her that she had a lawyer's mind because she could not help seeing things from opposite sides at the same time Whereupon she always answered that though she despised prejudices She liked people who had them because such persons were generally stronger than the average Ralston who had not many and had none at all about religious matters was the man with whom she felt herself in the closest sympathy a fact which went far to prove to bright that he was not mistaken in his judgment of her on the whole in spite of the declaration she had made to ralston catherine lauderdale's state was sceptical in the sense that her mind was in a condition of suspended judgment between no less than five points of view the presbyterian the catholic the deistic the psychologic and the materialistic it was her misfortune that her nature had led her to think of such matters at all rather than to accept some existing form of belief and to be as happy as she could be with it from the first as her mother had done and though her intelligence was good it was as totally inadequate to grapple with the subjects as it was well adapted to the ordinary requirements of worldly life but she was not to be blamed for being in a state of mind to which her rather unusual surroundings had contributed much and her thoughtful temperament not a little if anything she was to be pitied though the mighty compensation of a genuine love had grown up year by year to neutralize the elements of unhappiness which were undoubtedly present it is worth noticing that at this time which opened the crucial period of her life she doubted her own religious convictions and her own stability of purpose but she did not for a moment doubt the sincerity of her love for john ralston nor of his for her as she conclusively proved when she determined to risk her whole life in such a piece of folly as a secret marriage when she came down to dinner on that memorable evening she found her father and mother sitting on opposite sides of the fireplace alexander junior was correctly arrayed in evening dress and his clothes fitted perfectly upon his magnificent figure the keen eye of a suspicious dandy would have detected that they were very old clothes and mr lauderdale would not have felt at all dismayed at the discovery of the fact 
he prided himself upon wearing a coat ten years and could tell the precise age of every garment in his possession he tied his ties to perfection also and this too was an economy for such was his skill that he could wear a white tie twice bringing the knot into exactly the same place a second time montblanc presented not a more spotless impenetrable and unchanging front than alexander junior's shirt he had processes of rejuvenating his shoes known to him alone and in the old days of evening gloves his were systematically cleaned and rematched and the odd ones laid aside to replace possible torn ones in the future constituting a veritable survival of the fittest five-and-twenty years of married life had not taught him that a woman could not possibly do the same with her possessions and he occasionally inquired why his wife did not wear certain gowns which had been young with her daughters he never put on the previously mentioned white tie however unless someone was coming to dinner when the family was alone he wore a black one as he was not hospitable and did not encourage hospitality in his wife though he praised it extravagantly in other people and never refused a dinner party the black tie was the rule at home black ties last a long time Catherine noticed the white one this evening and was surprised as her mother had not spoken to her of any guest Who is coming to dinner she asked looking at her father almost as soon as she had shut the door Mr. Lauderdale's steel-gray upper lip was immediately raised in a sort of smile which showed his large white teeth He had defied the dentist from his youth up and his smile was hard and cold as an electric light Ah, my dear child he answered in a clear metallic voice. I'm glad you notice things little things are always worth noticing Walter Crowdie is coming to dinner today. In fact, he is rather late With Hester asked Catherine quickly Hester Crowdie was Hamilton Bright's sister and Catherine liked her No, my dear without Hester we could hardly ask two people to our everyday dinner. Oh It's only mr. Crowdie then said Catherine in a tone of disappointment sitting down beside her mother I Hope you'll be nice to him Catherine said mr. Lauderdale there are many reasons Oh, yes, I'll be nice to him answered the young girl with a short quick frown that disappeared again instantly I Don't like your expression my child said Alexander jr. Severely and I don't like to be interrupted. Mr. Crowdy is very kind He wishes to paint your portrait and he proposes to give us the study He must make first which will be just as good as the picture itself. I have no doubt Crowdy is getting a great reputation and a picture by him is valuable one can't afford to be rude to a man who makes such a proposal no observed mrs lauderdale as though speaking to herself i should really like to have it he is a great artist i haven't the least intention of being rude to him answered catherine what does he mean to do with my portrait with the picture itself when he has painted it sell it he would have a perfect right to sell it of course with no name he means to exhibit it in paris i believe and then i think he intends to give it to his wife you always said she is a great friend of yours oh That's all right if it's for Hester said Catherine of course. She's a friend of mine hush. I hear the bell When did mr. Crowdie talk to you about this asked mrs. Lauderdale addressing her husband this morning hush here he is Alexander jr. 
had an almost abnormal respect for the proprieties and always preferred to stop talking about a person five minutes before he or she appeared it was a part of his excessively reticent nature the door opened and walter crowdie appeared a pale young man with heavy red lips and a bad figure his eyes alone redeemed his face from being positively repulsive for they were of a very beautiful blue color and shaded by extremely long brown lashes a quantity of pale hair too long to be neat but not so long as worn by many modern musicians concealed the shape of his head and grew low on his forehead the shape of the face as the hair allowed it to be seen resembled that of a pear wide and flaccid about the jaws and narrowing upwards towards the temples crowdie's hands were small cushioned with fat and of a dead white the fingers being very pointed and the nails long and polished his shoulders sloped like a woman's and were narrow and he was heavy about the waist and slightly in need he was too fashionable to use perfumes but one instinctively expected him to smell of musk both women experienced an unpleasant sensation when he entered the room what mr lauderdale felt it is impossible to guess but as Catherine saw the two shake hands she was proud of her father and of the whole manly race from which she was descended Last of all the party came Alexander senior taking the utmost advantage of age's privilege to be late Even he within sight of his life's end Contrasted favorably with Walter Crowdie he stooped he was badly dressed his white tie was crooked and there were most evident spots on his coat his eyes were watery and there were wrinkles running in all directions through the eyebrows the wrinkles that come last of all He shambled a little as he walked and he certainly smelt of tobacco smoke He had not been the strongest of the three old brothers though he was the eldest and his faculties if not impaired were not what they had been But the skull was large and bony the knotted and wrinkled old hands were manly hands and always had been and the benevolent old gray eyes had never had the womanish look in them which belonged to crowdie's but the young man was quite unconscious of the unfavorable impression he always produced upon mrs lauderdale and her daughter and his languishing eyelids moved softly and swept his pale cheeks with their long lashes as he looked from one to the other and shook hands alexander junior whose sense of punctuality had almost taken offence rang the bell as his father entered and a serving girl who lived in terror of her life drew back the folding doors a moment later End of chapter five